Good morning, everyone. We, um, we are starting our Acts series. We, it's, it's like we really are excited about it. Last week, Resurrection Sunday, what an amazing time we had. Christ has risen from the dead. Now what? Now what is, is basically what the early church was saying. And, um, and so we're going to get into this series. I've called by Preet today, Mission Impossible. And I think maybe it's a good name for the whole series. You know the Mission Impossible movies? There's how many movies have there been? Shobi, you know. I know you've been following those things. I know that's your favorite. Shobi, Shobi. Anyway, Shobi says there have been eight or six or nine or whatever. Whatever, I don't know. But you remember that one when at the beginning of the movie, he's out in the middle of the desert somewhere. I don't know how he got there. He must have done a 100K run to get there. And he was so hot from the run, he had to take his shirt off. Remember that one, ladies? Yeah. <laughs> Tom Cruise had his shirt off, and he's climbing up this rock face, up this cliff like this, and his muscles are torn, and he's just powdered his hands, and he's climbing ah, like this, and he swings at one point, swings around, his abs are flexing, and woof, and he's back on again, and he gets to the top of this cliff, and uh, he looks around across this desert, and suddenly this drone arrives, like this, oh, oh not, oh, not so soon, not so soon, we haven't got there yet. So the drone arrives. <laughs> it's get, it's going to get even better. The drone arrives and there's, I don't know, like a little tape recorder or something and Tom Cruise takes it and plays it and some story about how somebody's taking over the world or this thing or that thing. And then it ends with this. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. This disc will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck. And then he takes a recorder and he throws it on the floor and poof, it begins bursting into smoke like this and fire and, and it self-destructs. And Tom Cruise, still without his shirt on, as you remember, ladies, looks around <laughs> with a smoky look in his eyes and the music begins to play. Thank you. <laughs> well, friends, when we read the Great Commission of Matthew 28 and the magnificent mandate of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we have to understand that that was actually the mission impossible. We've got a church that hasn't even been born yet, and Jesus is giving this command to them, and in in 43 days from today, we will celebrate Pentecost, and that's the day the Holy Spirit is poured out and everybody agrees that's the day the church was born now imagine this group of 120 people that have been given this command to go and change the whole world and it's not just like everybody's waiting for it the roman legions this, uh, this iron might of rome is actually against the church against anything that would try and raise itself up against the kind of the divine rank of the emperors the intellectual sophistication of the greeks is arrayed against these Men of no learning, these fishermen, these tax collectors, these rebels. And uh, you also have the religious bigotry of the Jews. You have entrenched control of the communities and the towns and the villages all around Israel. The truth is that Tom Cruise and his team had it easy compared to what God intends for those men and women to accomplish. And so Acts 1.8, which I'm going to paraphrase in my own words, says something like this. Imagine now... There they are in the 120, the drone comes flying in, the tape recorder lands, 
Peter presses the play button. He's got his shirt on. He presses the play button, and it says this. You will carry this message of my forgiveness and a new king and kingdom to your city and the surrounding regions and to other culture groups and to the very ends of the earth. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. Okay. And then what happens is as they read this, the message goes up in smoke. Jesus is the message. And it says this in verse 9, that when he had said these things, in front of their very eyes, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of his sight, out of their sight. Now these 2,000 years later, there are 2.3 billion people on the planet right now that say that they are Christians. Over the centuries that have gone by, the millennia that have gone by, how many billions would call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior? And the impact of the church on this planet has been, you can't estimate what it is. From the very beginning when the Christians would take in those that, were, that had the plague into their own homes to care for them and die with them as they cared for them, or took the babies that were abandoned and left on walls into their homes and raised them as their own children. The missionaries sent, the churches planted, the hospitals built, towns and regions transformed by Christian morality, human rights birth, and so on and so on and so on. The church is ever at work. I've told you guys about the story of when I was in Bulawayo last year in May, and I was walking along and I heard this going on like this, and I wondered what it was. Was there something that I had got something in my shoes? And I looked down, you know, like when you focus, and I saw the ground was just covered in these cutting ants. It'd be, it was post-harvest, There was the, the leftovers of the maize was lying on the ground, the maize plant, and there they were, these little ants walking around with their little cutters, their little pincers like this, and then they were cutting off a little piece like this, and they would lift it up, and they would walk along and carry it like this, and then take it down the hole and store it for winter, whatever they were doing. And as I looked, I saw there were thousands of them. They were just and I, I could imagine in, in no time at all, maybe a couple of days or weeks, they would have cleared that all of those, that, that harvest left over, cleared it and taken it underground. And I felt like God said to me, that's what the church is like. The church, you, you often can't see it. You don't see it around you. Like you go about your business, you, you, you walk around in Dubai and you think there's nothing going on here. The church is doing nothing here. Or you go to another country, you visit America or Zimbabwe or wherever it is that you go and you think, where's the church? there all the time. If you listen carefully, you can hear it working. I chatted to a lady a couple of weeks ago, she may be here this morning, who said that her ministry is actually to minister to Hindu women who have come to Christ, but because of their family situation, they can't go to church. So she kind of takes church to them. See, the, the church is at work. There's people delivering food. There's people caring for the sick. They're, they're all over the world, all the time. The church is busy at work. From a from 120 men and women gathered in the upper room waiting, this impossible mission mandate has been fulfilled again and again and again. And it wasn't just for them, and it's not even just for us. It's for every single generation until Jesus Christ returns. How did they do it? How did you go from 120 to 2.3 billion today? That's just what's around today. Nations transformed. They didn't have Tom Cruise's fancy spy gadgets. They didn't have a zany team of explosive experts and computer hackers and kung fu skills in order to overcome the enemy. What did they have? 
Well, let's go to the scriptures in Acts 1 and verse 1 to 11 and see what it is that they had. And I think you know that Acts was written by, most people agree, it was written by Luke the doctor, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And that's what he's referring to in his introduction here when he says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, which we'll come back to in a moment. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The three things that I think those group of 120 had, which we have as well, I want to share with you now. And number one is they had a resurrected king. It says in verse 3 that he presented himself to them, alive to them, after suffering by many proofs appearing to them during the 40 days. And I wrote a, I wrote a letter to you, church, which you received on Friday, and your email, which I've, I know you've read and reread and memorized since you've read it. Yeah, yeah. None of you have read the letter. Hey, you know how long I worked on that thing? Come on, man. Anyway, it's actually just a thank you letter, just saying you guys have done amazingly well over Dubai Collective. But I end with this. I said, Oh, yes, and how epic were the Stations of the Cross and Resurrection Sunday. Death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you defeated. It's still ringing in my heart. Long may that refrain last. And I promised Linda that I wouldn't sing the song. But I feel like, I feel so inspired by the Holy Spirit now. That, um, and the earth began to shake. The stone was rolled away. And I will stop there. Your perfect love could not be overcome. Death, where is your sting? Our resurrected king has rendered you defeated. I tell you, I've been singing that song all week. Austin, it's driving her crazy. It's driving my neighbors crazy. It's driving the people in the park where I go pray. I'm just singing it all the time. It's just over and over in my heart. Our king is alive. The tomb is empty. We, we worship a resurrected king. In Matthew 28, that great commission, go make disciples, we often say it, but leave the last sentence out. And uh, I want to I read that last sentence. So go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all I've commanded. And then it goes on. And the New King James Version, which I'm going to read from, says, and lo, don't you love that word? And lo, we should use that much more in our language. Like when you, when you go order a coffee, and lo, I would like a cappuccino. <laughs> It kind of means like, listen to what I'm saying here. I don't want the wrong drink here. I want a cappuccino. You can use it afterwards when you order your coffee when the, from the baristas. 
It means behold. It means listen to what I'm saying. Pay attention because this is important. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen, says uh, Matthew as he ends his gospel. The reason that as Christians we can face the future with confidence is the fact that Jesus, our Savior, is alive. He is seated on the throne, and is the fact that He is almighty is indisputed. He, he is sovereign and rules over the heavens and the earth. And He is with us, friends. He is our Emmanuel, our resurrected King. And we, the, the, the disciples knew that. They had been with Him. They had seen the one that was dead. They absolutely knew He was dead. The Romans had put the spear through his side just to make sure he was dead in case the cross hadn't killed him. He was buried in the tomb for three days. They saw him alive. Their king was resurrected. His remains are not housed in a temple. There's nowhere we can go and worship a part of his body that's been left behind. I was reading in this, thing, the, this paper I've been reading about a, a temple in Sri Lanka called the Temple of the Tooth. I don't know if that's his like, official name, but apparently it's one of Buddha's teeth. I don't know how he lost his tooth. I don't know what's going on with that whole thing. Maybe it's the one thing that was left behind when the body had decayed. And apparently they go to revere, worship, whatever it is, that tooth that's there. The founder of every religion other than Christianity is dead. And those first disciples have died. Only Jesus rose from the dead never to die again. The first fruits of the resurrection. His tomb, friends, is empty. You cannot go and see the remains of Jesus. It's done. And so because he's alive, we have hope not only for the future and the promise of eternal life, but we have hope for our daily living as well. Don't underestimate the impact of him having won this victory. In the, in the language of Revelation, the, the, the last book of the Bible, Jesus has slain the dragon. And it reads so beautifully in Revelation 12, 20, 10 and 11, when it says this, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And friends, there is a running battle. I, I agree, it's not easy. It's not like we walk around like, like we've won, and we've just got the victor's crown on our head, and it's easy. It's a war that we're in. We're, we're, we're at war continually, and there will, there will be suffering, and there will be losses along the way, but we are condemned to victory. We, we cannot help but win, no matter what he does. The worst thing he does, he can take our very lives, and we just promote it into glory at that moment. Every suffering we take is a sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Every time we're humiliated, we count it a joy because it's pointing back to Jesus. We are condemned to victory. Paul declares in Romans 8.37, he says, you are more than conquerors. You're not just winners, you're more than winners. you like, what's better than number one? This is what Paul's talking about. Like, you're not just going to win, you're not just going to conquer, you're more than that. So every defeat that we suffer, every defeat that the disciples suffered, had to be seen through this lens of ultimate victory. Imagine like you're in the middle of a game. You know, like when, sometimes I find out beforehand what the result of the Liverpool match is. I try not to, but I find out before and I've recorded or something. I love it when I know we win like 4-0. And I go watch, and then, or four, say, say we win 4-2 or something like that, to make it a bit more interesting. And the other team scores a goal, and I don't care, because I know we're going to win. <laughs> and they score another goal, and other people are crying and weeping in the stands. I don't care, because I know we're going to win. Do you remember? I know! And then, the, then it comes. Boom, 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 boom. Salah, Mane, Luis Diaz, goals, goals, goals. And we win the match, and I celebrate. And it's like we are condemned to victory. 
It doesn't matter what defeat you're going through right now. You win. It doesn't matter what challenge you face because of the opposition to the gospel. It doesn't matter what people are saying about you. You win. You are condemned to victory. You know, when uh, Thomas heard that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, he said, I'll believe it when I put my finger in his hands and my hand in his side. What a thing to say. <laughs> Jesus heard him, arrives a couple of days later and says, Thomas, guess who? Jesus. Come put your finger yeah, and come put your hand in my side. Well, now Thomas doesn't need to do that because he's seen the resurrected Lord falls to his feet, to his knees and worships him, which is, anyway, I don't want you distracted. And, um, but Jesus commends him for his belief, but says this, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And friends, we haven't seen in the flesh the resurrected Lord, but we believe he is resurrected. When we sing the songs on Easter Sunday, and not just Easter Sunday, but every time we sing them, when you walk around your neighborhood singing, oh, death, where is your sting? Spitting out those words. I shout to death all the time. Um, our, my resurrected king has rendered you defeated. When you do that, you're affirming what you believe, what you know to be true, that Jesus is upon his throne. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. We have a resurrected king, number one, much better than a pen that shoots off bullets. Number two, we have the promise of a coming kingdom. And in my notes, I've got written there, the already here coming kingdom. And uh, there's a, one of the things that we see in the book of Acts is that theology begins to develop. So they, they, they're this 120, which grows to 3,000, and they wrestle through. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Gentile Christian? And they grow in all this stuff. What does it mean that the kingdom has come? And, you know, what is the reality? What, what is going on here? They, they spent the three years with Jesus, but there was much for them to learn, even in the book of Acts. And in, in chapter 1 and verse 6, they ask this question, which betrays a little bit of a, a lack of understanding, perhaps, of the kingdom. When they say to Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And most commentators think that what they were saying was, Lord, are you going to sort these Romans out? And are you going to come and be our king like David was and cause us to have this earthly kingdom, this political, maybe maybe military kingdom that will rule over the face of the earth and bring peace and, and order and all that kind of stuff? Is, Lord, is it going to happen now? Are those, are those Romans going to get what's coming, up, coming to them? That, you know how they've oppressed us. And I think that in the 40 days that Jesus chatted to them about the kingdom, I think he was so intentionally unpacking what uh, what, what it meant when he, when he preached about the coming of the kingdom. And the way he would have done it, he probably would have reminded them of the things that he had said already. Remember when we were there in that town and, and I spoke to you about this. Remember I told that parable there. Remember, And he begins to explain to them about the kingdom of God. And he might have gone, he might have used the very words that Luke recorded in his gospel, like Luke 10, 9, where Jesus commanded them to go to the towns and we said, we heal the sick in, in those towns and say to them, because they've been healed, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Or Luke eleven twenty, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, said Jesus, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so he's teaching them, the kingdom of God has come. But then in Luke 19, verse 11, he tells them a parable that makes the point that it's not quite here yet. When he says this, he says, as they heard these things, in verse 11, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. In other words, he was about to go, be crucified and resurrected and ascended. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man, this is the story he's telling, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And you can go read that parable. 
But the point of Jesus, Jesus is the nobleman. He's going to leave behind this vineyard for us to work, and he's going to go receive his kingdom. That was his, his ascension. And one day he's coming back, and he's going to, uh, the, the kingdom that is, he has inaugurated will be consummated. What started with the coming of Jesus will be fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus. As David Shaw says, and we say with him, the kingdom of God is simply the place where God rules and reigns. It's not a place, it's a space. It has been inaugurated, begun, but is yet to be fully consummated. And uh, I found this great diagram, which we actually do have, we, we lost it for the first meeting, which John Piper um, supposedly put together. It's figure B, there was a figure A as well, but we're just going to go with B. And uh, that blue line you see at the bottom is this age, is this the time that we live in, from the beginning of time when God put his breath into Adam and Eve until the last day when Jesus returns and receives the bride to himself and there's a new heaven and a new earth. Along that timeline where it, we live in our fallenness, in a fallen planet with fallen people, Jesus comes. That first orange line is the kingdom of God breaking into our presence and um, and, and that, that changed everything. The kingdom came. The kingdom has come, Jesus said. But there's still the return of Jesus when the kingdom will come fully. And so we kind of live in the space between um, no kingdom, the kingdom coming, but the kingdom still coming, where we will live for eternity in the fullness of, of Christ's reign, where there'll be, there'll be um, no fallenness, no brokenness, no sin. We live in this place. We live in the already, not yet. So people say he has the kingdom come. It has already, but not yet. It has already, but not yet. And that's important, actually, for the disciples to understand and for us to understand as well. The kingdom is not yet here in the sense that we're not building an earthly kingdom. Our job is not triumphalism. We're not to kind of reign you know, in, in, in the, the head of every city and, and rule everything around us in that sense that we take the positions of power. Actually, Christianity has always been at its most representative when we've been kind of hidden away, when we like those ants that scurry around doing our work, when we're subversive, when, when the marks are the ones that are not celebrated in the newspapers and not lauded by, by those that are powerful. And so we, we live in a fallen and a broken world, and we, we live with the reality of that. People we love get sick, and some of them don't get healed. People seem to die prematurely. That, that's the reality that we live in. I was reflecting in the earlier meeting in in the, in the worship time about a guy that I got to know briefly. And he was coming into ministry. He was, he was serving part-time as, as one of the elders in the church. And the guy that led the church was now going to go plant somewhere else. And it was his first day to be leading that church. And he was on his way into the office on his first day. And his wife had said after, when I went to the memorial, she said he had been, as you can guess what's coming, she said he had been dreaming about heaven, about the presence of God. On his first day to work, he's driving with his daughter in the car to drop off at school. He's driving this way on the highway. On this way, somebody comes this way. They, they have a blowout. Their car swerves across, hits a barrier, flips into the air, and lands on top of his car, instant killing, instantly killing him and his daughter. The kingdom is not here. The perfect reign of Christ is not here. I can't imagine the pain and the suffering that his wife endured, that the church endured. You kind of go, God, how is that possible? And we live in this place where the things don't work out the perfect way that we want them to. Uh, Dylan brought a word in, early in the meeting about our lives not following the course we had planned for it. I thought it would be like this, Lord. I thought it would look like that, and it's something completely different. But God's in the midst of even that, even in, in the not yet. But there's also the already. 
where the call upon our lives is to advance the kingdom, the rule and reign of Christ in this life. And so we do believe that what Christ did, we should do as well. And Acts 10.38, as Luke writes, there, he talks about how Jesus went around um, in, full of power and the Holy Spirit, doing good and destroying the works of the evil one. That's our job. That's what we get to do. We get to go around doing good, not just in our natural selves, but in the power of the Holy Spirit that he wants to do it through us. And so my prayer during this series is that we would be expectant for God to move and to see miracles take place. Why not, friends? Seriously, why not? We had a, a friend of ours that used to pray that prayer all the time. Why not, Lord? Like somebody would pray, God, won't you come and heal? They go, why not, Lord? And why not, Lord? Exactly. It's what he does. Why not heal? Why not set somebody free? Why not somebody that you know in your workplace that God gives you a word of knowledge for them and you go share it with them and that's the wall down and they're open to the gospel? Why not, Lord? Because the kingdom has come and is still coming. Thirdly, they had the Holy Spirit baptism. In verse 4, Jesus says, wait for the promise of the Father. And he explains what that means in verse 5 when he says, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So wait for the promise. The promise is the Holy Spirit in which you are baptized, immersed. When that happens, you'll receive power. And the power is for a purpose, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Just think for a moment of the impact of the Holy Spirit's work on world missions. If you, if you process the book of Acts, and I hope you take the time to go read to the book of Acts. Read it in the, you know, the English Standard Version. Read it in the Arabic Standard Version. I don't know what the Arabic translation of the Bible is. Read it in whatever your home language is. Read it in English. Read it in the New Living Translation. Read it in the message. Read the whole way through. It's just 28 chapters. You can do it quickly. It's easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Read it through. Read it until it becomes a part of your story. And then imagine as you go through Acts chapter 1, what, what we're talking about today. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out. Peter stands up to preach. 3,000 get saved. They come together. They have everything in common. People are being added to the number daily are being saved. Acts chapter 3, um, John, uh, Peter and John are going to the temple and the, the cripple is healed. They preach it. The number swells to 5,000. They're brought before the Sanhedrin. They get beaten. Acts chapter 4, they've cried to God, pour out, your ho- uh, pour out your spirit again. Give us the boldness to preach the word. The Holy Spirit is poured out again. The whole building shakes. Wouldn't that be cool? Our neighbors come running out here. What's going on? This church. Sorry, bro. <laughs> Sorry, all the warehouses falling over around us. It's just, <laughs> it's just the Holy Spirit, you know. The building shaken. As they pour out, they begin to preach the gospel. And it's, it's, but imagine that without the Holy Spirit. Go to the book of Acts and cross out everything that you think the Holy Spirit's doing. You may as well toss the book of Acts away. It's a load of rubbish. You see, we have to have the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And all through the centuries, from that time through every age, the Holy Spirit has been at work. That's what they had. Much better, as I said, than any sort of gadgets or team that we could put together. How does the Holy Spirit work in us? Well, He guides us, friends. He strategically leads us. He, he moves us. If we will listen to Him in places and times to be able to do His work. Peter was led to go preach with Cornelius, a thing he would never have done if the Holy Spirit hadn't led him ahead of time. What about James when he stands up after they're trying to figure out how to include the Gentiles, which are all of us in the church? What do we do with these non-Jewish guys that are coming into the church? And then his answer that he writes in the letter to the Gentiles that will go out with Paul and Barnabas is, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Imagine putting that in a letter. This is 
you know, you would have put down like, Thus saith the Lord, we have received from on high these commands which you shall obey. Yeah, this seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit because we were talking and the Holy Spirit said, do this, you know. It's like so ordinary, so normal, yet so profound. That's the way it's supposed to be. When you get into the office in the morning, you might see, see somebody and you go, yeah, this seems good to me and to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go share this with them today. Paul being stopped from going to one place. I'm going to go, yeah, and preach the gospel. No, Paul, stop. Okay. I'm going to go, yeah, and preach the gospel. Stop, Paul. And then, what must I do, Holy Spirit? I, I want to go preach. What must I do? And then that night he has a dream. Come to Macedonia. Uh, there's a man from Macedonia calling for him. And he goes and he meets a woman, Lydia, and the church is planted. Acts 13, they're worshiping, praying. And the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, to the ministry of calling him. He's at work all the time. Not just in these epiphany moments every day he's at work and so we can have an amazing amount of confidence that he is going to lead us and guide us and 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 direct the steps i had a guy asked me the one time when am i coming on to eldership what a stupid question first of all he thought it was a promotion where coming to eldership is just you're going to start to work a little bit and carry some stuff and the, the weight you know paul says doesn't one of you sin and i inwardly burn in another place he says um I'm, I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is fully formed in you. I hope you pray for, for the elders because there is a way to carry. But he thought that it was my decision. <laughs> so I love answering those questions. When am I coming on? I said, but it's got nothing to do with me. He looked at me like I was, I was being duplicitous. I wasn't. I said, I said, my friend, honestly, it's when the Holy Spirit speaks. I can think this and I can think that. I thought there were men that I thought would never come on eldership and the Holy Spirit has called them on to eldership with me and have served incredibly well. And there's men that I thought would definitely come on. The Holy Spirit hasn't called them on because it's He's the one that leads us. What about applying that in your business? What about applying that with your children? Um, I often talk about the fact that Jesus is tricky. You know, like, like it's like the church leaders, we, we, we're not that bright. So Jesus has to be really kind to us. So He, he kind of puts breadcrumbs down like this. And, and we, we kind of go, oh, there's one. And, and we pick it up. We, like, we, we make a decision because we can see this. And we go, okay, thank you for revealing that. We make the decision. And then we get there, and it's actually, this is the implication of the decision. And people come and they go, wow, that was amazing. What a good idea. And we have to be honest and say, it was Jesus. He tricked me again, you know. He's always working through his Holy Spirit in our lives. Not only does he guide us, but he empowers our witness. He doesn't want to send us out there without any power, without any secret weapons. We've got, we've got pens that can do secret things, you know, and watches. Uh, you click it three times, it causes the whatever, to happen around you. See, the Holy Spirit charges our words so that when we proclaim the gospel, when we share with people, it comes with power into their lives. The Bible says that, that of itself that it is the sword of the Spirit. So imagine when you're speaking the words of God to somebody, the Holy Spirit is standing there with his sword piercing a heart of somebody. Think about that. Say, my words, I'm saying these words from Scripture, but the Holy Spirit is piercing a heart with the words that are being said. Now, he's dividing between as the Bible says, soul and spirit. Get into the deep places, beyond the defenses, because he's at work. Elsewhere, in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, Paul says this, My message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches and mission impossible music, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. See, he empowers the words when we share them. But it's not just our words. He comes to be at work in our actions as well. He actually wants to demonstrate the gospel in people's lives. So he wants people to be set free. He wants strongholds to be broken. He wants the sick to be healed. I've been reading this um, paper on Buddhism 
Um, and uh, it's been really interesting. It's, the paper's called The Christian Witness of Buddhists by the Lucerne Committee for World Evangelism, which sounds super boring. I mean, I, some of you are yawning in your minds just thinking. <sighs> Let's see how many I can get you to yawn here. Triggered. Are you triggered now? You're going to yawn. Anyway, it's not boring. It's, and uh, there was this one part that I was reading the other day, and I was like, I circled it like 40 times, you know, like when you do that. It says this, the triumph of the cross over the power of darkness is good news for the Buddhists to hear. The gospel provides power for deliverance and relief in their lives. Christians should look for opportunities of power encounter and encourage them to take place to destroy the binding effects of demon beliefs upon the people. You know what he's saying? He's saying, go look for trouble. Go cause some trouble. You know, when you go, I'm going to go find that Temple of the Tooth. I'm going to go visit it, and I'm going to go in there. Not because I want to go check out any tooth. I don't care. I mean, it's pretty cool that you've got a tooth there. That's not my thing. My thing is, I want to come in and cause some trouble. I want to walk in, not fearing what the demons in that place, and there are demons, are going to be doing, that, because I've got the Holy Spirit inside of me. I want to come into an encounter where somebody is bound and not be fearful and go, I need to withdraw from that. No, no, I need to step into that. That's what I'm anointed for. That's what you're anointed for. When somebody comes to you and, and you think, man, I've got, I've got no chance. The Holy Spirit gives you the wisdom and the power to bring them to freedom. We don't, we don't back away. We step into those situations. He goes on and says, or they go on and say this, we should declare the supremacy of the risen Christ over demonic powers. Let me read that again because I think that is so cool. We should declare the supremacy of the risen Christ over demonic powers and through the name of Jesus demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit, effecting deliverance of those who are bound under demon influence. Won't the worship team please come up? Friends, I trust that in this time we see miracles. I trust in this time that you see miracles taking place in your, I'm going to call it ministry, okay? I don't want to call it that because you're going to say, but, but I'm not in ministry. Of course, we're all in ministry. We all have a ministry, every single one of us. I have the privilege of being paid by this church to fulfill my ministry. You have the privilege of being paid by your company or if you don't have a job to survive on faith somehow, get a job. But anyways, until you get a job, you can, but you have a ministry, every one of us. You have a ministry into your workplace. You see, you have a resurrected king. You have the promise of a kingdom that has come and that is coming. And you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit at work in your lives. And He wants to act. And my prayer over this series is that we get stirred up to step out of these doors and carry this gospel message wherever we go. That, like, maybe you're going to splutter out some rubbish. You know, you need to get out there and you, you can fall over your words. Even that the Holy Spirit can take and use it. Maybe you, you're talking to somebody and you barely say anything that's coherent but you, you're crying and you try and say your blubbering nonsense and the Holy Spirit takes it and just says, you know what, I'm going to use this. And they say, look, one day they, they come to, I met my brother getting saved, gave his life to Jesus and I, and, um, I, I think I've shared this with you, it was at a time Mike preached, the worst preacher I've ever heard on premillennial dispensationalism with every theory of it was, it was stupid. It was the craziest thing I ever heard. It was like, I couldn't, I was studied and I had no clue what was going on. And then he says afterwards, who wants to get saved? I'm thinking, what? Are you nuts. No one gets saved after me. It's impossible. And God took this confusing, complicated message and said, you know what? I'm just going to anoint that right now. And my brother put his hand up. And he got saved actually during the worship 
And you don't know when you play your part what God's going to do. You pray for somebody, maybe a hundred won't get healed. What about the one that does? I was throwing crabs back into sea, the sea yesterday because the tide was out. Linda was rolling her eyes. Like, what are you doing? I was walking around the beach throwing crabs like, into the sea because in the shells like this. And I was thinking about that thing with the starfish. You know the story of the starfish where the starfish all washed up on the beach like this. And some guy, there's thousands, and he's throwing them in like this, throwing them back into the water. Somebody walks past and says, what are you doing? Look how many they are. It's going to make no difference. You can spend all day here. And he picks up the starfish and he says, it's going to make a difference to this one. And he throws it back into the water. And it'll make a difference to the one that God sends you to. Remember, you're not alone. There's a whole host of ants around, all working. In the, in the office block next to yours, in the, in the compound next to yours, in the playground next to the one that you're in, there's somebody else at work doing their thing. And the, the amazing thing is that though we feel like we're alone at times, we're not. You know, the end of that Mission Impossible movie where Tom Cruise is still there with his shirt off. Have focus here, ladies. Okay, I will. He says this. The, the guy says this, and it's kind of Charlie's angel, Charlie voice in the, in the message. As always, let me do this in my Charlie angel voice. As always, should any... Should you or any of your iron force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. The disc will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck. The secretary is going to disown you. He doesn't know you. When you make a mistake, you're out. When you mess up, you kick, you kick to the boundary line. If you get caught, I don't know who you are. Compare that to the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. And in the message, I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Why don't you stand with me, please? What a truly, truly exciting message, friends, because it's true. Don't slip back into the mundane and the mediocre. Don't just, like, the, my life is to accumulate money to when I retire one day. Like, I've got to build up a nest egg. I've got to build up a, like, yawn, man. That's boring. Let's change the world. Seriously, let's change the world. We're not alone. There's others that are doing it. Let's do our part. Let's change the world. Let's take that one step of faith. This week, speak to somebody. This week, pray for somebody. My prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would come upon us and fill us over this, these weeks, that He would fill us again and again, that our, our buildings, as it were, would be shaken, that we would pour out with boldness that signs and wonders we've done from our ministry. Why not? Hey? Why not? He's done it before. He's done it with you know, more ordinary people, uglier people than us. I'm sure, there must be some uglier people than us. He's done it. You can do it with us as well. Why don't you raise your hands up? Father, we want to thank you so much that you include us in this incredible mission. Yo, we think of Paul's words when he says, I have this ministry by the mercy of God. As if we've done anything to deserve to be invited on this mission. We're not Tom Cruise. We don't know Kung Fu. We can't hack these people's computers. But Lord, we love you. We love you. Our lives, have been, our lives have been changed by the fact that our King is alive. 
the tomb is empty. It's, it's like, what? Thank you, God. Thank you that we get to be a part of this kingdom that has come and that one day will come in all of its fullness. And that every day, Lord God, we're winning. Even when we're losing, we're winning. Even when we're defeated, we're winning. Even when we're failing, we're winning. Thank you, Lord. You never disown us. You never kick us to the sidelines. You're with us every day. And your Holy Spirit is in us. And Holy Spirit, we love you. Oh, we love you, Holy Spirit. We love the way that you, you work in us. We love the way you speak to us and guide us. We love the way you kind of hide yourself so the Father and the Son can be seen so brightly. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us and, and send us out. Use us. Use us in our offices, in our playgrounds, in our schoolyards, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. Use us in this incredible city called Dubai, in this nation. Use us in this region and the nations of the earth. Lord. Use us, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Send your Spirit, Lord, upon us. Fill us. Break of mediocrity. We don't want to settle, Lord God. How long will you camp here? Consecrate yourself. For tomorrow I will do amazing things amongst you. Come and do it, Lord. Come and do it. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.